Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Mm, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how... If you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.
right, as a birthday boy, Iman said in the chat room, even Satan wears leather. Running wild with chains and leather and rivets forever. I used to love those guys back in the day. I kind of, I mean, I kind of lost it from them when they went all pirate and everything. The first pirate record they did, you know, was pretty good because I just thought it was like going to be a one-off type of thing. Uh, I didn't know they were going to like go the whole pirate route forever after that. Uh, but on the Jolly Roger was a good record. Even Death of Glory was pretty decent. Uh, Port Royal uh, was up in the air on, but I'm glad that they kind of came out of that for a little while. Then they broke up, got back together, and now it looks like they're right back into the pirate stuff again. Even though the last two records. Uh, the band did put out new material, uh, which was Rapid Foray in 2016 and Resilient uh, back in 2013. Didn't sound anything to me like, you know, the old Running Wild. It was a whole new sounding band, even though it was just kind of rock and roll from the band. I just didn't care for those two records at all. But some great stuff from the early days. All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, the 15th of October. We have a great one tonight. Eric Wagner will be calling in in about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, Eric's from Blackfinger and the Scully's days, and everybody remembers him from Trouble back in their glory days. We also have Brian Blake from Genghis Khan and Brian Turkin from Band of Brothers later on in the show. Everybody is live tonight, so we're going to have to keep things moving along in an orderly fashion, and we'll get to as much music as we can in between now and then. How about some daytime with It's Your Fate?
my brand new Clovenhoof, not exactly brand brand new, but from 2017. That was my mat off of uh, the last record, uh, Who Mourns for the Morning Star. Uh, I really didn't think much of this album was going to be when it came out, if I even said that right. Uh, you know, because they kind of Americanized the band, uh, Lee Payne, bringing in a, a couple of guys from the from the States over here. And when it came out, it kind of blew me away. I really dig this album. Well, definitely one of my top 10 for the year. A lot better than I thought it was going to be. And if this is the direction Cloverhoof is going in, they are definitely on a good path, I have to say. All right, we're going to talk to Eric in about 15 minutes or so. We'll get on a couple more tunes between now and then. I saw that Tony Harnell has parted ways with TNT once again. I, I do believe this is the second time in the last, like, 18 months or, or since he left Skid Row about a year or so ago. Uh, I don't know how this guy, honestly, is employable by any band. I mean, he has a name reputation, so I guess bands want him in there, but he's there's something that, that just doesn't click with this guy. He cannot stay in a band for any certain amount of time. I mean, I don't know if it's him or the other band members. I would have to say it would be him because it's just multiple bands that this happens with. Uh, you know, and with TNT, I mean, he's basically been with the band on and off for the last 30 years in one form or another. So you think they would kind of know each other and know, you know, the issues that they have. It just doesn't seem to work with this guy. No matter what band he joins, it doesn't last more than a few months, you know, or a year at tops, and he's out. So TNT did have a new record coming out on Frontier. I don't know if it's going to they're going to go the route of Quiet Right and wait for the new singer to join and replace his vocals on there with the new singer, or if they're going to just release it the way it is. Have no idea. I'm curious to see musically uh, what they came up with and what they're sounding like these days, uh, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking with him and a lot of bands. Uh, even Skid Row, when he joined Skid Row, he says, this isn't going to last a year, and I was pretty much dead on the money with that one. Uh, it just seems to be the Tony Harnell way. Also, you know, last week I forgot to mention that the Scorpions had to cancel the rest of their tour here in the U.S. because of Closed Minds vocals. And, uh, you know, Tommy and I saw the band when they came back, I want to say it was maybe five years ago, maybe it was six years ago, when they were kind of doing their retirement tour at the time, and that was going to be it for the band. Uh, and, you know, obviously it didn't work out that way. The, the, shows, the shows were sold out. I guess it kind of reinvigorated the Scorpions. But that retirement thing is also a ploy that a lot of bands use to get a lot of people to come out to the show, get some interested in the band again, then they keep going on and on. Black Sabbath has done it. Kiss has done it. Aerosmith has done it. Scorpions were no different. I mean, I don't like it, and I don't kind of go for it, but they did it. But that was, I believe, the second show of the tour. It might have even been the first show of the tour at the PNC Bank Art Center. And Claus Mike couldn't sing that night. He had vocal problems, too. Well, he said laryngitis. That seems to be the thing they use. It was laryngitis. He really couldn't sing. So he did a couple of lines here and there from some of the songs, and the audience did most of the singing that night. And I have to be honest with you. I mean, I've seen the Scorpions dozens of times over the years in their prime in the early 80s to the late 80s. Uh, so I didn't kind of miss anything. But if you're a fan getting to see them for the first time or a fan who hasn't seen them in you know, 25 years and you're paying the 75 even $100 a ticket, and the man can't sing live because, let's face it, I mean, he's getting old. He's got to be close to 70 and maybe more than that. I mean, I'm not really sure close his age, but, you know, vocally, he just maybe can't handle touring for as long as they go out and, and do it. And it's disappointing as a fan when the show canceled or the whole tour gets canceled because he can't sing anymore. So I don't know. Maybe that's a sign to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know, maybe just do one-off shows here and there or shorter tours where, you know, you do a couple of a week or two here and there and take some time off to, you know, recuperate and go back at it again. I, I don't know what the answer may be, but it just doesn't seem to be working because they have to keep canceling a lot of shows. And you know, it kind of gets disappointed for the fans, you know. I, I don't know what else to say on that, but it is what it is, I guess, right? 
All right, let's see what we can do here now for you. How about we do a little, uh, we did that last week, so I'm not going to play another song by that band right now, but uh, let's do some, uh, you know what, we're just talking about TNT. We'll do some old TNT. This is pre-Tony Harnell, Holly Davidson. Oh, I'm 
York City. I believe Long Island back in the day. Armed Forces with the Night Rider. That was such a great EP. The Let the uh, the Let There Be Metal uh, EP. Uh, I was a big fan of that album. And the singer, you know, it, it was sort of like the King Diamond thing. You know, either you liked it or you didn't like his vocal style. It was very high pitched. Uh, and I remember from the first time I started doing the show and we wanted to do interviews and you know really like dig up these underground classic bands. I tried finding Scott Knight for years and years and years, and I just couldn't locate him anywhere. And, you know, Facebook kind of came around and got big, and I was able to locate Steve Tetro, the bass player, uh, and we had him on the show. And, you know, Steve didn't really have a lot of info on the band, a lot, not a lot to talk about in the old days, because he said they were more like a studio thing. They never really took off. And then they kind of became Armed Forces, like right after that, or Armed Force, I should say. They kind of changed the name of the band after that, and that was where they were going, and Scott wasn't on vocals. But after I did the show, Scott heard the interview and got in touch with me, you know, under his real name. I had no idea if Scott Knight was his real name, and that's all we had to go by. Uh, so I've been in touch with him ever since then. Maybe I'll get him on the show one day. But I remember years ago, Tommy and I went to one of the NAMM conventions in California, and there was this guy playing guitar in a booth. And a lot of people were walking by because, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that stuff. They're just looking to get autographs and take pictures. They didn't know who he was. So with Tommy, you know, Tommy being a guitar player was digging his sound and he wanted to hear him play. And I'm looking at the guy. I'm like, you know, he looks for me. I don't know why. And, you know, after he was done playing, like, you know, you guys are fans of Warlock. I was like, that was it. You played with the Warlock. You know, it was Tommy Boland from the Triumph and Agony ever of the band. It's like, wait a minute. I said, you played in Armed Forces back in the day on the album. You know, he was like blown away. Like he didn't think anybody who knew who Armed Forces was or remembered him. So Tommy and I became kind of fast friends after that, and uh, Tommy's been on the show since that time. And right now he is out on the road with Warlock, because Doro, well, with Doro, they're doing the Warlock, uh, the Triumphant Agony record in its entirety with a couple of other songs thrown in at the end. I think they kind of wrapped up the U.S. states. There might be a few more here and there, uh, but it was a pretty cool show. If you didn't catch it, maybe they'll come back out and do it again. And it would be kind of nice to see Tommy playing with uh, Doro again especially if they go out under the Warlock name, which she now has the right to use again. It would be pretty cool if they kind of dig back in the older catalog. Tommy's a great guitar player. Like I said, I love that first Armed Forces record. All right, Eric should be calling in in about a minute or so. Uh, hopefully he remembers. <laughs> he should be calling in any minute. So we'll just kind of maybe uh, chill out until he does. Uh, you know, Seth Howland, who played with Wasp back in the day, and uh, he's been with Metal Church for a long time. Now, he was diagnosed with cancer, so hopefully he'll beat it, and we wish him well. But they were interviewing him, and he was talking about how he, you know, wouldn't be opposed to getting that classic Wasp lineup back together. Now, I know a lot of people love the Crimson Idol, and they consider it to be like Wasp's best record. Uh, but I don't consider that to be the classic era of the band. If I was going to say the classic era of the band reuniting, I would say it would be the one with Tony Richards on drums, or even Steve Riley was with the band after him for a very long time. I don't exactly consider that mid-90s era of the band a classic Wasp lineup. To me, it was more of the early days, maybe because I've been a fan of the band since the demo tape days, and to me, that's classic Wasp, those first two records. Uh, everything kind of after that, and sort of changed a little bit, but Chris Lyle, definitely a good record. People consider it to be a masterpiece. I don't know, that might be taken a little too far, in my opinion, uh, but I don't consider the mid-90s era of the band uh, to be classic era Wasp. That's just my opinion. Everybody feels differently. Uh, but I, I definitely would say it would be Steve Riley or uh, Tony Richards, who actually really only played on the demos and, and the first record. But but who the hell knows? All right, I believe we have Eric on the line right now. Let's connect them. Let's get this interview going. Eric, hey, it's man. Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Pleasure to talk with you today. I have to tell you, I've been playing the hell out of the new Blackfinger, man. You did a great job on this one. Well, thank you. Actually, I'm at the dude's house right now that recorded it with me, or he recorded it. 
Um, ah, beautiful. Just that little celebration on it, you know. That's uh, a little right. ironic that you would say that. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, listen, even the first record was phenomenal, but I know it seemed like it, it took forever to get that record going and get it out. Uh, did you kind of have the same issues with this one, or did it kind of come, you know, more naturally to you? And was it easy to, no, to put out this, put together? This, this one was way easier. I had, you know, the problem with the first one was I, I didn't have any money. And uh, so I had to call in a lot of favors and shit like that, you know. So, And then, you know, somewhere along the line, I blew up the band and, I didn't like what was going on, so I went back to writing and and I got other guys involved and stuff like that. So this one was way easier. The the band came together good, and you know, actually, I moved to Pittsburgh, and the drummer uh, Dave he he was Trouble's touring drummer during Plastic Arena. He came over and said, "Let's do something." I'm like, "Okay, I guess let's why, why not?" You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, when colors fade away, I mean, it's got a little different vibe than the the self-titled record from a few years back, but yet it still has that distinctive sound. I mean, you know, Doom is your thing, but this also harkens back to a lot of the 60s and 70s type stuff that was going on also back in the day. Well, you know, that's when I grew up, and that's the music I listened to. So just like everybody, you you know, you have your influences. I mean, I don't do it on purpose or anything. It's just, you know, that's the music I listen to. That's the music I still... I, I still think the best music is like, what, 1965 to 73. I mean, there's yeah. other things that are good, too. But I think in that time period, you know, uh, that's my favorite. And I can't help that I that my influences are instilled in me as a kid, just like everybody, I guess, you know. Oh, absolutely. Do you find it a challenge to take stuff that you, you know, grew up with from, you know, 30, 40 years ago and incorporate it to a new sound? Because this isn't, doesn't sound like a 1963 record or 65 record. It sounds like a, a new no. record just with that, you know, with that, that, that vibe in the background. And that's a hard mix, but you make it work. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, technology is on our side now. So um, even stuff we did back in the 80s, it sounds better now, you know. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. You know, I don't like I said. I don't. We don't do anything on purpose. It's whatever comes out comes out. I've never ever in my life tried to write or record a certain way. I mean, yeah, you got your your influences that you listen to and your recording that you were listening to. Oh, let's try that. Let's try this. You can't do things just for the sake of doing it. But if it works with that particular song, then why not? You know. So. Absolutely. Well, Black singing now, I mean, if you consider it to be a full, ready-to-go band, are you looking to take this out on the road and keep it going for as long as possible, or is it just something like in between the skull and everything else you got going on? Well, we'll see what happens, you know. I mean, um, I, I don't know. We're going to do, like, a couple shows here. I mean, it's more my baby, you know, that I'm raising. Um, if yeah. people want to hear it, if people want to see it, I'll definitely listen and We'll think about it. The Skull is more of the touring band, like more of the trouble thing, you know, and stuff where this is just Blackfinger is more me, more, like I said, my baby. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, even with the Skull, the, the Skull, like I said, it kind of started out as a, as a live band, you know, going back to your trouble days and playing those songs again, people getting to hear it the way, in my opinion, they should be sung with you on vocals. Uh, but then it kind of morphed into like, you know, an original type of thing. Was that always the intention from the beginning with that or did it just kind of happen 
Well, you know, I mean, when we first started, we were talking about just doing the, the songs from the first couple albums because we didn't, Trouble didn't do that anymore. And we, I thought that it might be cool to, to do those songs again because it's been so long. And uh, after we were playing for a while, I mean, you know, people, I mean, to me, it's a natural progression. People started kind of asking us if we're ever going to do our own record. And, and for me, it's the best part about being in a band anyway. Is, is creating new music. So I, I think it was more, we didn't start out planning that way. It was just more of a natural progression, I think. And uh, right now, is, that's exactly what I'm doing is working on a new Skull record. Well, that's great. So, for, for those busy, who are asleep, busy, it was a busy. solid album. Yeah, but that's well, a good you. thing. Isn't that good in this business to be busy? Busy, busy in my mind. Yes. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, um, it's it's kind of weird, you know. I've been these last few years, like I probably put out the most music I ever did in my whole life, and in a short period of time. And I'm not sure why or anything, but I'm having a lot of fun, and um, it's just weird that I still get to do this after all these years, you know. So yeah. I I guess I still got things to say. You know, absolutely. I, I, I mean, is, is creativity something that you still can count on? I mean, do you kind of come up dry every now and then, especially like you said, the last couple of years, two different bands putting on multiple records. Does it kind of drain you creatively or do you just have so much in you that, you know, you, you keep going? Well, well, I don't know. I mean, like I said, these last few years, I've been one of the most creative periods in my life, I think. And I mean, when I was done with the um, with the Blackfinger album recording and all that, you know, the skull guys they were you know i think i jumped into it a little too soon i did need a little bit of a break um you need to live life a little bit to think of what you want to say and what you're seeing what's going on in the world what's going on with your life you know because you're so involved um last year especially i was you know touring with the skull all year and in between i was writing the blackfinger record so i really didn't have any time to or so it seemed anyway, to experience, you know, any kind of life thing. I was just trapped inside my mind the whole year, and uh, no pun intended, I guess. But so, uh, you know, after a couple of months or so, you know, like I said, right now I started working on the Skull record, and um, it's pretty heavy so far, I think. So uh, I think people will, I think people are going to dig it. Uh, I'm sure they will. I mean, how does things go today as far as being in a band goes? I mean, is being in a band really worth it today, dealing with three or four other personalities, conflicts arise, people don't get along, money issues? Is, do you think it's better <laughs> to just go out on your own and, and just, you know, just go out as yourself I, and do all your music? I don't know. I mean, I always like being in a band. You know, that's why Blackfinger doesn't say Eric Wagner's Blackfinger or the Eric Wagner yeah. Project, because I like being part of a band. Now, as far as the music industry, like what you're saying, you know, no, it isn't worth it. Um, you know, the labels these days and this and that and the other thing, but as far as creating music and being part of something and a, and a band and, and, and having fun and being creative, it's something that I need to do. Not sometimes want maybe, but need. Um, so that part of it is still great. You know, as far as playing live shows and, you know, the Internet, it's a a good and bad thing, I think. You know, 
the free download bullshit and all that. I mean, we got to pay bills too, you know, and people always ask me, when are you going to do another record? I'm like, well, when you get enough money to buy it, I'll do one, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just kidding, but it's kind of tough these days because I need to do it for myself and my soul. But then when people like want it for free, it's, it's kind of uh, frustrating if that's the right word to, way to put it, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, when you think about it, you go back to the early days, I mean, even with Trouble, I mean, you signed to Metal Blade, which was like a, a pretty well up-and-coming label back in the day when you guys signed it. People knew who they were. Then on to Deaf American. Uh, was, it ever, was it ever an easy time as far as it goes, you know, as making a record and having the money to do it, or was it always a hard time? Or was it was always a struggle, no matter what label you were signed to at the time. Uh, Deaf American wasn't a struggle because they paid for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Little did we know that we had to pay it back, you know, but I think we still owe Deaf American like a half a million dollars, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> now, nah, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would change a thing. I mean, I remember that first trip out to California with Metal Blade when we recorded that first trouble record. You know, our van broke down in the fucking accident, and, you know, and we we bought the van and put in our own money for some of the recording. And, I mean, come on, man. It's just those are times that I, you can't, you won't never forget. And um, I, I, I wouldn't change any of it, you know. So it's been good, bad, great, this, that, and the other thing, the whole my whole career, you know, I mean, once we got the deaf American, sure. Things were easier and we were on tour and they had tour support and we were on a tour bus and all that kind of shit. But, you know, and right now it's a little more difficult, I think, but I'm, I'm having a great time. God, I'm 58 years old. Like how many people at that age get to say that they still get to, I don't know what, what's the right word for it. It's like have fun, you know? Yeah. Do what you do, live your dream, whatever. And you know, I got what I need. And I learned a long time ago: as long as you have what you need, like the things that you want, I don't know if it matters so much. And you know, nowadays, like I said, as long as I have what I need, I don't care. I'm having a great time, and yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know? Did you was it? Did you see yourself still doing this? At this age, after all these years, or I mean, you know, this music business is a roller coaster ride. You got great days, bad days. It goes up and down all the time. Was there a time where you thought you were going to throw in a towel and say, "I've had enough" and just not do it anymore? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> but I can't. It's not what I. Yeah. It's not. It's what I do. It's, it's who I am. I have to create music and work on music for my soul to be happy. And if I'm not doing that, I'm a little lost. You know, the sure. world going out, it, it doesn't thrill me too much, you know, like whatever people think is normal. So I like, you know, I, always, I often thought a lot of times, like what it would have been like if I just had a regular job and I'd be retired now and all that. But you know what? I've done so much. I've met so many cool people and um, experienced so many great cultures and tried every the food and this and that wherever you are you know and you know you're in europe you're in here this time you're here you're even in the states 
from from region to region it's different and it's like i i got to experience all that and i would like i said i wouldn't change it for the world you know yeah, I'm glad. You know, I, being a being a big demo tape trader back in the you know in the early '80s and, and getting a copy of uh, I think it was your second demo for like '82 and fall in love with the band. Then I remember a year or so later hearing that there was an album coming out and like you got to see there's this Christian metal band out of Chicago, this white metal band. I'm like, what the hell's that? Then they were talking about trouble. Like somebody just pigeonholed this band with a title and a name that to me never belonged to fit. Did you was that were you guys that, aware of that at the time? That was Metal Blade did that. Oh. You know, um, we were, you know, back in, in that time, I mean, everybody was singing about shit like that, you know, Venom and Merciful Fate and whatever, you know, and, you know, nobody really believed in all that crap. Maybe King yeah. Diamond did, but um, <laughs> most people didn't. Slayer, you know, everybody, you know, and we were just the same, except maybe I would put a positive twist to it. So. You know, Metal Blade. That when I first heard that, I went, "Oh, why did you do that?" You know, you know, let people make up their own mind and what they think. If you tell them um, that this is the way it is, like even Christian, like, then people aren't going to like it right away just because that's what that's what you told them it was. Yeah. You know, so we were never a Christian band. I wasn't out there trying to save anybody. I was just out there exploring my life, and I grew up, you know, in a Catholic. Not that I am anymore or nothing. I don't. I think religion is man-made, and and I don't dig it. But uh, I, like I said, I, I said just as many Lucifers and Satans as the next guy did. I just, I just couldn't like say things that I didn't believe to be true or think was true or wanted to be true or whatever. I had to put my own positive thing onto it because I thought that would be the right way to do it. And yeah. I still to this day I can't sing I can't sing about anything that I don't believe in myself or think, you know. So we got labeled the white Christian thing. You know, we were on Deaf American and I seen the headline in this magazine said, uh, Christian rockers are drunken metalheads. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> Okay, well maybe we uh we maybe we fixed that one. I don't know. But I mean <laughs> to me I would say I'm more spiritual than religious. I mean, like I said, I think uh Religion is man-made, yeah. And there's a difference between that and, to me, and what's 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 really real. So, but that's that's my opinion, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I never got that either, because like I said, being a fan of the band before that time, you know, lyrically, you know, you were all over the place over your career. I mean, you've done, you've written about so many different things that. It, it, it apply it the way I felt, but you know that's what they had pigeonholed at the time. It, it kind of sucked, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I, what What are we gonna do? I, I told Brian, I'm like, why did you do that? You know, the first album on white vinyl, which is fine that part of it, but to call it white metal and all this bullshit, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, I guess I, I was I've been called worse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't think it matters so much today what people say. Uh, but back then, you know, it really did affect a, a band because everybody was put the a specific genre back then, and people didn't listen or experiment. Today, people I think are more open minded musically, and they'll they'll experiment more and listen to more things. I, you know, I don't know. We were always uh, back then. We were always called behind the times, and we were called ahead of the times, and blah blah blah. Never in the times, I guess. 
you know, but uh, yeah, like I said, you know, I was, I was just out there exploring my life. And if you listen to the first song and the first record, the tempter and listen to every single song that I've been a part of since then in a row till the end, this last black finger till, till we meet again, it's all one life. You know, and people ask me, how do I, what's the difference between the skull and black finger even or trouble? And there isn't one when it comes to me or the lyrics, you know, musically. Yeah. Cause there's different people writing riffs and, and stuff like that. But as far as the lyrics go, it's all one life and it's all me. And, and there is no difference. You know, it doesn't matter what name you put on it or what label you put on it or whatever. It's the same dude. And, you know, maybe that's why it sounds like it. I don't know. You know, I don't know, dude, I can't figure it out. <laughs> it's music. Do you think that, would you think that the like black thing of the skull are, are kind of interchangeable then? Or, Cause you do have different musicians who offer different, a different vibe and a different sound. Well, the musicians, I mean, they, you know, they're the ones, they bring their riffs. I like getting everybody involved in writing and stuff. And, uh, you know, they're different people and they bring their, they all have their unique style and their unique way of doing things. And that's what makes a difference. And, and just when things pop up and you, you, you want to try different things that you never did before, you know, so that might not have happened in Blackfinger with this guy as it might have happened with the skull with that guy. So that's the difference between, between them, you know, and, and uh, like, I, I, I love that. And I'm always up for trying new things and, you know, I can't help it when people say, oh, well, this reminds me of Trouble. Or, well, no shit, you know. You were Trouble. It was, me singing on, it was me singing on that and singing on this, you know. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that's well, then why don't you I mean, just do Trouble? <laughs> well, you, 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 you kind of sort of do it with the skull. That was the whole point of the, the, the skull. I mean, when, when that came about, I mean, you know, me, to me, you're the voice of Trouble. People can say what they want about the guitar play being the band. Nobody really ever says it's the bass player or the drummer, but it's usually the guitar player or the singer. But, you know, your voice is what defines trouble. So they hear you singing again with the Skolo songs, and especially because you go back into the catalog that the band doesn't play anymore. To me, that makes it more special. I'd rather hear it with you on vocals than with somebody else yeah. singing your songs, you know. Well, they've been they, lately, I, I guess they've been doing some more of the old stuff now. I don't know why, but... Um, it's not the same. You know, people... Well, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like that for me, too, when I hear, you know, when I heard my favorite bands with the different dudes singing, even Sabbath. I mean, when first, you know, after Ozzy and Dio, the first album, I hated it. You know, I was a total Ozzy dude. But now, you know, Heaven and Hell and, you know, The Mob Rules, I think, are really good records if you look at it as just that way. But back yeah. then, when like when Ozzy left and Dio, they did that first album. I absolutely hated it. Black Sabbath was a different dude, but you know, like I said, now when you listen to the album, it is a good record, and it, you have to put it in perspective, I guess. And and uh, you know, so I feel the same way, I guess, as yeah. as everybody does when it comes to stuff like that. You know. Well, whether it was Sabbath or any other band, do you think it would have been better if they would have changed the name? Even if they were doing the same songs, you know, the Ozzy version songs with Dio singing, do you think it would have been better if they renamed the band? I mean, you did that with the Skull. Did you ever consider going out as, you know, Eric Wagner's Trouble or just Trouble like other no. bands do? No. Can't, can't yeah. do it. Because we're not. Because we're not. So, I mean, when we were thinking of a name of it for it, 
um, that the skull kind of, I mean, I don't know if it was ever any different name for it. That kind of popped up right away and it was perfect, you know, and the meaning behind it and all of it. And um, no, I never, ever one time thought to use the name trouble and to create all that bullshit, you know, like Queensryche and Skid Row does it and all that. I just, I don't want no part of that bullshit, you know. I'd rather just like we did it. We had a different name. Everybody knows who I am when it comes to that and where, where we got the name from. I always joke around that we got it from that, that 1965 horror movie, The Skull, you know, when people <laughs> ask me about it. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I think Peter Cushing's in it or whatever. It's a great movie, actually. But I always say that's where we got it from. We didn't get it from that second record. So I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Eric, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I know you're busy. we got other guests coming up after you. Uh, I, I know the Skull has actually got shows coming up. What about Blackfing? Anything happening live? We're doing uh, three shows coming. we got one in Pittsburgh, uh, one in outside of Chicago, and one in Buffalo right now. Um, and then, yeah, i got shows with the Skull coming. Both worlds are in the same room at the same time right now. So yeah. it's like I'm trying to separate things. But then we have another run with the skull and end of January or beginning of February. We're going to do a little bit of an East Coast run with that. Um, uh, November, at the end of November, we're going in the studio to lay down drum tracks for the skull record. So I'll be busy with that most of the winter here. So we'll see, you know. That sounds great, man. I'm going to play some songs off the new record. Go back to the skull. Go back to some trouble. But Eric, I, I, I wish you the best of luck with the new record. And when you head to the New York City area, I'll make sure I'm there to see you guys live. How about this? How about February 3rd at St. Vitus Bar? I'll be there. I'll see you there then. All right, man. You got it, Eric. Take All care. Right. Have a Thanks. great day. Good talking Thanks. to you. Thanks. You too. Yep. All right. Let's get on some black finger right now. Here's Can I Get a Witness? Yeah. 
trouble. Fear no evil. I kind of wanted to play that after the Black Finger song and give you back-to-back Eric Wagner, but my eyes are turning 50 years old in about another week, and I kind of clicked the wrong button. But we had new Accept in between there with Rolling Thunder. Another good album by Accept. You know, it sort of sounds like all the other records that they put out with Mark on vocals. I think Wolf Hoffman is probably one of the most underrated riff guys out there. I mean, everybody says Tony Iommi is a riff master, but let me tell you, Wolf is not far behind him. The guy still writes great, catchy songs, riffs that you can remember after you hear them just one time. To me, that's the most important thing. I hate listening to a lot of these new bands and even old bands write new records where it's just not memorable. I can't remember anything that they said. A a line from the lyrics, uh, the riff doesn't stick in my head. It's terrible, but Wolf, he still has it. That's all I can say. All right, we're going to be talking to Brian Blake from Genghis Khan. In about uh, less than 10 minutes, I'm going to give him a call. We'll do one or two more tunes between now and then. Uh, my best friend, Sebastian Bach, uh, says his next solo record is going to be more vocal-oriented. So I'm hoping that he's going to hire a singer to actually perform those vocals so it can be more vocal-oriented because he can't sing for shit or write music. Then in another post, it says that the album is going to have more of an Eagles vibe to it. So I guess the hard rock thing really isn't working out for him anymore. He's going to try to go maybe more classic rock. I don't know what that guy does. He's just a loud mouth piece of shit. I just don't like him at all. Very few people in this business, I can honestly say I don't like. And he's probably the only one. I just don't know what it is about that guy. He kind of rubs me the wrong way. All right, let's jump into some more music here. We'll do one or two more tunes. And then we'll get Brian on the line. After that, we have another Brian. Brian talking. Uh, he's got this project called Band of Brothers. Brian's not really known for being a heavy metal guy or even really a hard rock guy. Uh, he put out this rock record, which features a lot of great rock stars on there. He's more known as a producer, and he's an amazing guitar player, and he's very well known in the jazz world. Uh, it's to raise money for you know for the veterans, for charity. So we spoke with Brian We'll get that on after the interview with Brian Blake from Genghis Khan. And I'll see if I can dig up one or two of his songs that are more in the hard rock vein uh, to play for you. If not, we'll just do the interview and we'll kind of do a little skip on the music there. All right, let's jump into some, uh, how about some, uh, let's do a little risk. Here's Road War.
right, Phantom Lord, Jack Stars Band. We had Jack on the show a few weeks ago. We, we spoke about that record. I forgot to ask him if it was going to ever get re-released. I'm not too sure. I'll have to go back and uh, replay that interview. But I was going to get ready to call Brian right now, but Brian Blake from Genghis Khan is on the line. Let's connect them. We'll get this interview going. Brian, this is Mike. How are you? Hey, good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. How's everything going today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, I'm glad. Man. I, I wish I was in Pittsburgh myself right now. I could go for a Permanente Brothers sandwich, but I'm going to have to do without it. <laughs> yeah, they are good. <laughs> I'm sure. Hey, well, listen, I'm a big fan of Genghis Khan. Has been since the early days of the band when I was a demo tape trader and got the Awakening demo back in the day. I'm thrilled that Heaven and Hell finally found you guys and are re-releasing these two great demo tapes. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah, I'm thrilled too. I'm, I'm uh, very surprised and happy about that. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, you know, you, you, the band put out two demo tapes back in the day. The, the big, let's go back to the beginning for people that don't know the band or the story. I mean, how did it all come about? I guess it was around the mid-'80s that the band kind of formed? Yeah, uh, it was in 1985. Um, in class at Penn Trafford High School, me and Jim Struzzi sat next to each other. He was a football player, and I wasn't. <laughs> then <laughs> I got to talking about music, and uh, we seemed to come together on that point and uh, became good friends. And then we formed this band, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Well, was the two of you back then? When did uh, I mean, your brother was in the band also, wasn't he? Initially, he wasn't. He's my younger brother, Dave, and uh, we had a different guy, uh, another guy from school at Penn Trafford High School, and he bailed out at a point, and we got uh, a longtime friend of mine, Chris Miller. He came in to play drums for a while, and he, actually, he's the drummer on The Awakening on uh, Merciless Bitch and uh, Barbaric Lust, those two songs. Okay. And then he left, and uh, we got another drummer named PJ Statahar from a keyboard, uh, played on the other two songs, Legions and Genghis Khan. Was it, the, did you, was it that you just didn't have a steady lineup put together yet, that you had other people come into play? Well, we were working steadily with these guys, and then they would, one thing or another happens, and, you know, they bail out or whatever and then get another guy so then my yeah. uh after tj my, i said to my brother okay it's your turn step up so he <laughs> did and he's, he's been there ever since <laughs> yeah and was that the lineup for both demo tapes then um the other demo tape was tj playing drums on uh okay yeah he played drums on uh the passage as well and after that my brother uh came into the band and stayed now. Yeah. Well, between the awakening and the passage, a couple of years went by. I mean, were there any offers on the table at that point in time for a record or to put a record out, or were you shopping the the band around, or did anything happen as far as an album goes? We we never got a chance to shop it to anybody because we spent all our money in the studio recording. Yeah. <laughs> so then we never, we know, you know, a couple, uh, you know, cassette in those days, a couple hundred. You know, and sell them locally around around here. Brian, I think we lost you.
Yeah, we, yeah, we lost Brian. He had a bad cell phone connection. Let me try calling him. Uh, maybe it'll, uh, it'll go through better. Let me uh, give this a shot. Let me just mumble out the numbers here so I don't uh, confuse them. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Uh, and let's give that a shot. Hang on. Bear with me. Technology, you know, you got to Hey, Mike. Hey, we got disconnected there. I figured I'd try calling you, man. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. It sounds better, too, now. Better connection. Okay. Yeah, technology's not 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 a friend of this show. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, so I forgot what we told you. We were talking about the record. You were saying that you know you spent all your money in the studio on the demos. You never even got to that point. Yeah, we never got a chance to shop it around at all, and uh, we did shows locally, and that was about it. Yeah, it's a shame, Tommy. People don't realize everything was kind of do-it-yourself back then. And it isn't like today where they came up with a computer program and you can record your band's album from your bedroom. Uh, it was a lot of money to go into the studio back then, you know, and band members, some had the money, some didn't. So financially, was that like a drain on the band back in the day? Like trying, oh, we lost Brian again. Yeah, we lost him again. Got a bad connection here with the cell phones. Let's try dialing him one more time. You have reached the voicemail box of... Four one two four five two one three three. Yeah, Brian's probably trying to call back in himself. Let me uh try one more time here. See if we can get him on the line. Nah, can't get him. We're trying. We'll keep trying. If I don't get him in a minute, we'll uh, play another song. Can you guys hear me as I'm speaking? Because if you can hear me, then at least I know it's not a problem on my end, and it's just probably a connection with the cell phone that he's having. So in the chat room, if you can hear me talking, let me know, and uh, then I know that it's a problem on his side, and we'll, we'll try to get him again on the line. <laughs> he's in the loo. All right, let's try this one more time here. All right, let's dial him up one more time. Okay, you can hear me fine, so it's probably a problem with the cell phone and his connection. All right, boys, thank you very much for telling me that. We'll try one more time. Nah, I can't get him. You know what? Let's let's jump into a Genghis Khan song. I'll see if I can get him on the internet. Oh, here we go. Let's try that. Hey, Brian, you back? Hey, Mike, you there? Yeah, we're trying to get you, just not going through. Yeah, I'm here now. All right, good. I'm glad. We were talking about the about you know being in a band in the early days and 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 money being an issue and spending it on recording and everything. Uh, are the finances really difficult on a band trying to get going? Oh heck yeah, yeah. You, you, it's really tough to you know usually try and save your gig money. That's what we did anyway. And, you know, it was really hard to get gigs for metal back in the day. Actually, the only place to play was the Electric Banana, maybe a couple other spots around town here. But there wasn't a lot of money going around for stuff like that, you know, to put back into the band. Yeah, yeah. Was Pittsburgh a pretty small scene as far as metal goes? I mean, you weren't that far out of, like, like Cleveland, Ohio, and there was a really big scene over there in the day. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. It was back in the eighties. It was. It was kind of big. Uh, there was lots, lots of good bands around here, um, but there wasn't too many places that you could play. Mostly, yeah. Pittsburgh's like a blues kind of town, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that has to make it difficult for a young band trying to get out there because back then, with no internet and very little magazine coverage, you kind of had to play live to get the name of the band out there. Yeah, yeah, and you had to travel outside of town, and it, most of the guys had you know day jobs and whatnot, and it was it was very hard to, to schedule that stuff, you know. Oh, I can imagine. Well, how much longer did the band go on after the passage came out? Did it end right after that? Or I, I thought you guys made it at least into the nineties. No, we we uh, recorded two more uh, four track or yeah four uh, four song demo tapes, I suppose, um, all the way up until ninety one, and they were never released. So I was talking to Jeremy about that. So we may be hearing that stuff. Oh, that would be great. I I love coming across stuff. Yeah. I mean, was it in the vein of the stuff you guys were doing, or was it a, were you taking the band in a little different direction when you recorded those tapes? It, 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 it turned somewhat because my brother got into the band and uh, we did a little, it was still heavy, but we did a little bit more psychedelic sort of heavy stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the it's times were changing in the 90s. Did you just kind of try to go with it yeah. or was it just a natural progression? No, not really. No, we didn't try to go with the flow of anything. We just wrote our songs, you know, and once again, we re- spent all our money on recording. <laughs> Didn't have yeah. no money to go shopping anywhere. We never re- we never pressed those at all. We didn't make any cassettes or CDs or anything. It's made people would know about this these tapes. Yeah, I didn't know myself. I'm glad that they're out there. And I'm I'm even more happy that you know yeah. maybe there's a chance they're going to get released now, and you know people are going to get to hear what the band was up to at that point in time. Yeah. Oh, cool. We even have stuff recorded recently, and that stuff to me we've ever done. Was that like the second coming EP you guys put out a couple of years back? Uh, say again? You had that EP, the second coming, I think it was like three or four years ago. That was, I don't know, that wasn't the stuff that I'm talking about. Um, oh, yeah. okay. I think we just, we uh, remixed some of the stuff and we put that out there. That Some of the 90s stuff might be on that. Oh, okay. Well, was it after those recordings that the band finally ended? I mean, how did it come to an end for the band? Uh, our, our singer Struz, he, he, uh, moved away and we had to find another set. And then when he did that, um, the rest of the guys, me, Dave and Poppy, we stayed together and we got another singer and a keyboard player and we became the Groove Junkies, which was a Southern rock band. And we, we did that for the rest of the nineties. Oh, okay. We put out a CD. Was that Chris that came into the band at that time? Who's that? Chris. Chris Miller. He was a, he was at the very beginning of the Genghis Khan back in '86. I don't remember. I don't remember his last name to be honest with you. Chris Miller. Oh, okay. Was, uh, yeah. Then and after the Groove Junkies, we got we reformed as Genghis Khan. Me and my brother got another bass player, Rob Dropper. And we got another singer named Kevin Rousel, who went to high school with us as well. <laughs> so, his thing, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard those tapes. We did a tape with him uh, in 2001. 
No, I didn't hear that. I haven't heard anything since real. I mean, you know, uh, the passage was like the last stuff that I really heard. So it's been a lot of decades. Uh, got, I could send you a lot of stuff. We have a lot uh, of yeah, recordings. I would love to hear that. Yeah. This guy had a, was a different vo- type of vocalist. He was more like a Jeff Tate style. Oh, nice. So, so I'm, I'm yeah. guessing this is all around the late 90s that you kind of uh, reignited Genghis Khan. Was that, is that, was that around the time frame, the late 90s? Yeah, about 2001 it was. Okay. Well, it, it was probably 2000, and it took us a while to record our our our, uh, our album there, and uh, it came out in 2001. So, yes, you're correct. Okay. So, I mean, you've had Genghis Khan back together for a really long time now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we still do gigs every once in a while. Yeah. A- anything with new music? Are you looking to record more new music or maybe re-record some of the older stuff that didn't get heard? I just I was just hanging out with Timmy Amor Saturday night, uh, and we were talking about having him produce our next recording. So, yeah, nice. we're about to, about to write some songs and go back in the studio with Timmy from Triple X. Cool. Uh, what is the band going to sound like today? I mean, are you looking to recapture some of that early sound? or I mean, because it sounds like the band changed a lot over the years, musically, from recording to recording. Or is it going to be like, you know, kind of an amalgamation of everything mixed together? Yeah, I would imagine it will be. Uh, I, I started writing a bunch of stuff that's uh, like drop drop tuning and stuff like that, you experimenting with that, because that's all bands do today. Back in, back in yeah. the day when we started, we tuned regular so i'm i'm messing around with that now seeing what i could come up with with you know, doing that see how that that that'll change our sound if, if, we, if we decide to go that way i don't know yeah you because know, a lot of people they don't like it with bands tinker with their sound and style but over the course of two or three decades i'm sure a lot of different influences coming in and out of your your life musically and you kind of want to adapt that to what the band sounds like also yeah absolutely sure yeah. Well, now with, with the Awakening and the Passage, Heaven and Hell are going to be re- – I believe it's going to be sometime this month that it's going to actually officially come out. I mean, it sounds yeah, like they did Jeremy a great job on it. Me, thank you. Jerry, Jeremy hasn't told me whenever the date the release is yet, but it's, he said this month. So I'm anxiously awaiting. Yeah. Well, the good thing is we're halfway through the month, so you don't have much longer to go. <laughs> Only two more yeah, weeks. Right. <laughs> You got, a one in 15 shot, you got a one in 15 shot of getting it <laughs> on yeah. any given day. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, are all the songs, have all the songs been remastered for the for the new record? Is there anything new on there or, or any bonus tracks? Or are you going to save those for like maybe another release? There's nothing new. Everything's been remastered. That's how we just... I think we uh, think we lost yeah. Brian again. I'm here. Okay, yeah, I, I, we lost you after a minute. It dropped, but you came right back. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm here. I'm still here. Oh, excellent. So, excellent. Uh, I was saying, I was saying, nothing's new on this. You know, it's the same as the two demo tapes, all the same songs remastered. But I, I talked to Jeremy of uh, putting out a subsequent uh, release with the next couple uh, demos that we did, and then. A final one with the later stuff. Yeah, we we yeah we definitely lost Brian again. Well, let me see if we can get him back. If not, we'll just kind of uh, wrap this up here and uh, 
call it a day because we're having a lot of phone trouble uh, with them. So let's, let's try getting them one more time. Not no luck there. I will play a track, John, in one minute. If I can't get him back uh, one more time, we're going to wrap up. I was going to wrap it up anyway because I saw the call was getting ready to drop, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't get him in time. I don't want him to think that we're, we're rude people here in New York, which everybody thinks we are anyway. <laughs> but let me get him on the line, and we'll, we'll just wrap it up before we lose each other again. So just bear with me. You're right. I think it is the curse of Bob Kulik, even though that was Bob's problem right from the beginning, uh, not ours. <laughs> Bob got a little twisted. One day, maybe I'll play what he said, but you know, uh, before the interview started last week. Let's try this one more time here. <laughs> you guys in the chat are funny. Bob Kulik is tampering with your phone lines. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have him here, but let's, uh, you know what? Let's just jump into a song. Let's do Genghis Khan, Legions. If we do get Brian back, we'll uh, just say goodbye and kind of wrap it up.
All right, there you go, some Genghis Khan. Uh, Brian had a bad cell phone connection, so instead of trying to reconnect him, it wasn't working. We'll just kind of let that interview go, and we'll have him back on the show again in the future, and uh, you know, we'll talk more about everything. We'll have a better connection. But right there, Genghis Khan with the title track, Genghis Khan, and before that, Legions. But this month, Heaven and Hell will be releasing a great copy of that album. Both of those demos are on there. Pick it up, support these labels. They do a damn good job of putting it out there. All right, let's just jump into the rods with some wild dogs. We'll get one more song on, and then we got Brian talking from Band of Brothers coming on right after that. Sit back and relax.
All right, that was Night Rider. Colt Moa Classics put out a compilation by the band called 1980 to 1984 about three or four years ago. They were out of uh, New Hampshire. Uh, you know, a good hard rock band, a little maybe in the AOR type vein. Uh, as far as I remember, they only had a demo tape or two out back in the day. So uh looks like they dug, uh, blah, 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 excuse me, dug up quite a few songs uh, for this uh, album over here. So there might have been a lot of unreleased stuff from back in the day. Who knows? Maybe I'll reach out to one of the guys in the band or... Uh, and uh, we'll get them on the show. We'll talk to them. But right now, I spoke with Brian Talkin this past week, a uh, well-known producer, guitar player. He's doing a charity project called Band of Brothers, where he's got a lot of great musicians joining him uh, to help raise money for you know veterans. It's a good cause. So sit back and relax. Here's our interview. Brian, this is Mike. How are you? Good, Mike. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great today. How about yourself? Pretty good, man. Thanks. Uh, great. Hey, I have to tell you, you did a great job in this Band of Brothers record. A lot of great musicians you brought together and some really, really killer songs. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problems. I, I guess it's safe to say that this is probably a follow-up to the Guitars for the Wounded Warriors that you did about a year or so ago? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's uh, This this was a little different because it's uh, it was a vocal-based CD, so... Is it is it is it a real pain dealing with those singers? I know I know guitar players don't want to deal with vocalists sometimes. Yeah, well, actually, these guys were good. You know, Phil Naro from Talis with Billy Sheen. He was he's a really nice guy. He's really good. And uh, and uh, uh, Jeff Scott Soto. He was really easy. So these these two singers are really easy to work with. So it was nice. Oh, that's good. I mean, I mean, is there, I mean, you, you've composed so many things. I mean, I'm looking at the awards that you've won for soundtracks, for TV shows, and everything else. You know, your jazz albums, your instrumental records. I mean, what's the difference between composing an album or writing a song that's all instrumental compared to dealing with a singer? Because you kind of have to make the guitar tell the story that the singer would lyrically. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I, I you know, when I do uh, uh, the instrumental stuff, I, I try to keep the guitar, you know, kind of um, not too busy, but, you know, melodic, but interesting with different harmonies. And in that, and then with doing a singer, you know, it, it's you have to leave that room for uh, the vocals. So, you know, the guitar then becomes kind of like the background um, of supporting the singer and the and the melody line and stuff. Yeah. Are, are instrumentals a tougher sell today than they used to be? You know, I guess so. You know, it's it's a tough thing because, you know, in, people automatically kind of relate to a vocal tracks, you know, so they want to hear somebody sing and, and hear the lyrics. Whereas, you know, with, with you know, instrumental stuff, it's hard to, I, I think, people to keep, you know, uh, their attention to the, the the actual song and everything, but you know, um, throughout history, and I, I think that's probably always been a, a, a tough thing with instrumentals, and so uh, and that's why you know pop music is so vocally based. Yeah, true. I get that. Sometimes I think people just. I mean, I listen to an instrumental track. I can appreciate it the same way as I can a vocal track. You have to put yourself into the mindset of where the music is coming from and what's being written and. And, I, and in a way, I kind of enjoy it more because I feel I can imagine it the way I want to and not how somebody else is telling me the song should be, you know, lyrically. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to you have to appreciate it for for the instrumentation, the tone, and, and kind of how, uh, you know, with an instrumental track, how the, 
it's arranged with the different instruments and, and, and how it moves around the melody, you know, where, you know, I, I can appreciate the same way, you know, a vocal track, like I can, uh, I guess, you know, as I do a, an instrumental track and you, you kind of have to, like you said, put your, yourself in that position and mindset of where, where the song is coming from. And, and, you know, if it's a guitar or, or a sax or whatever it may be, you know, you kind of have to, you know, listen, uh, you know, and just kind of let, let the song take you somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at the people you put together for this album. And I know Phil, you've worked with Phil from Talos before and on other stuff also, but Steve Morse, I mean, Jeff Scott Soto, who's I think one of the greatest singers out there, Jeff Watson, I think is one of the most underappreciated guitarists in the whole business, in my opinion. I think the guy's phenomenal. Yeah, you know, he he was always overshadowed in Night Ranger, and I guess maybe because Night Ranger was more of a pop band, you know. That, uh, but he's a great guitarist, yeah. And uh, and you know, and Jeff, yeah, Jeff is great. I remember him from you know from the Ingve days, from you know, uh, thirty five years ago. But and he's got such a great voice. I always liked him uh, on this track, and I actually envisioned him to do this track. So it was nice that he. Uh, that he was, uh, you know, so willing, you know, to, to sing it. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. When you're putting these songs together, do you have a performer in mind for each one, or do you kind of get it going to say, you know what, let's see who fits into my song? You know, I, I kind of uh, like to write with the envision of a, a certain artist. So when I write the song and compose it, I was thinking of, like, Steve Moore's, and uh, I was thinking of Bumblefoot, and I was thinking of... Uh, um, uh, you know, Jeff Scott Soto for that particular song. And, uh, and sometimes it works the other way where, um, you know, I have a song and uh, then, you know, maybe an artist couldn't do it. And then I go to a couple other artists and, you know, they surprise me and say, wow, I say, wow, this is great. This is really did uh, a great job. I wasn't thinking when I wrote the song for him, but it did very well. And, and that's kind of the way the Jeff Watson um, song came out. Did you know most of these people before uh, recording the album, or did you just kind of say, you know, I have Jeff Watson in mind and I want him. I'm going to go try to reach out to him and get him to come on here. Yeah, you know, I knew most of the people. There was a few guys that I uh, reached out to, like Jeff, um, and I got introduced to him through uh, Bumblefoot and also um, uh, Trey Gunn from uh, King Crimson. Um, that particular song I thought would be perfect for uh, – for for him because it was in you know an odd time signature and everything so so yeah. I, I was lucky to you know be able to get them yeah and when you look at the songs and you listen to them and you hear them they, a lot of them seem personal I mean you have family or anybody in the military or people that you know about because these are really you know very heartfelt songs and they really have a powerful meaning behind each one of them yeah you know it, it, it's it, it's interesting because. Um, I was in the military a long time ago. It kind of didn't work out. It was like, but I did go through boot camp and all of that. So, you know, kind of like wrote from, from memory and from what I, my experience through that, my dad was in world war two and, wow. you know, growing wow. up in New York city, you know, I remember all the, you know, the veterans, uh, especially Vietnam, you know, they were so underappreciated. So I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, write this from the heart, you know? It seems like you do a lot of work for charity and for causes. I mean, besides this one, you were also involved in the Orlando in Heaven not too long ago, you know, raising money for the Pulse victims of the you know the nightclub over there. So, I mean, you do do a lot. I mean, you know, you, you are giving back, too, besides creating, you know, great music on top of that. Yeah, I like, you know, I like to 
kind of have a, a you know kind of a theme in, in the albums and I and I want to kind of make it meaningful and not just make it you know kind of another record or another another just you know music I want to make you know kind of link the music and, and the awareness to like the charities and stuff yeah you know Brian I'm looking at all the TV shows that you've worked on and been a part of and I'm like wow I mean difference between composing for TV composing you know songs for an album to me, they seem like night and day, like they're two completely different things. One's a background, the other one's a main point. But, you know, that background music highlights and creates the entire element of a show. I mean, you know, when you watch a TV show and you hear that music in the background, that's what brings it all together. Is that difficult, trying to come up with something original for each show and try to carry it into a theme throughout the show? You know, I, you know, having been do, doing instrumental music, I, I kind of naturally fit into that. And, yeah, you know, you really have to uh, get the idea of the scene, and you also have to uh, talk to the producer and see, you know, where their idea is going for the for the uh, that scene and what music-wise. And uh, and it's true, a lot of people don't really realize how much, you know, music and score and background music, you know, kind of elevates, uh, you know, a show or, or a film and, and stuff, you know, because without it, it would be, you know, it would be, I don't think, not nearly as effective, you know. Oh, absolutely. Try watching Jaws without the music on when the shock is coming. You don't hit a, you don't hit a John Williams soundtrack without <laughs> right. Jaws. You know, it's incredible what music right. can really do. <laughs> it's true, yeah. It, it's absolutely amazing. But you've had a lot of success in that field. I mean, is it a difficult field to break into? Is it a difficult industry to become a part of? You know, it was it was more open years ago. It's gotten it's gotten more, you know, kind of like saturated with people trying to do it. I think only because records, you know, the record industry kind of like hit, you know, a kind of a bottom there with uh, with sales, and then so a lot of uh, record companies have gone into music licensing. And at one time years ago, nobody, you know, record companies couldn't care less about having licensing or placing music into film or television. They thought it was beneath them. Now they, they really run after it because it's, uh, they realized how much good income there was there. So, but it's like anything, if you really put your mind to it and you, you really work it out, you know, you can, you can break in. True. I mean, do you think that's the difference between being a real musician and being a musician just in a certain type of band? Because you'll have kids, you know, they want to be in a band, they want to meet girls, they want to party, they'll pick up an instrument, learn how to play it the best they can on their own, start a band, you know, it's a one in a million shot you can make and become the next ACDC or whatever. But that's all they know. And that's all they do. They don't experiment. They don't try different genres of music. You've been all over the place musically. I mean, you've had a lot of success with your jazz records. You compose. You got rock going on. When you're a musician, do you think it's important to be varied and to try everything? Yeah, you know that's a good point, Mike. That it's. I I really feel that the more rounded you are, the better kind of success that you can have. Um, and it's cool. Listen, you know, I, I loved playing in bands back in the day, and it's and it's great, a lot of fun. But I think you know, there's so much more options, you know, to go out there and be able to make revenue for for it. You know, especially if you're in a band and you could take it and you know get some music licensing and see where that takes you, or you know, work on video games. Or and there's there's a lot of outlets today, and I think. You know, as far as that goes, musicians have more to possibly, you know, succeed in um, where, 
you know, back in the day, it was kind of like everybody wanted to be the big rock star, be a band, and it's, and that's kind of like, you know, kind of died off now, and, and you know, there's there's a lot of other options for them, and and I think you know, being as as you can, it's great. You know, I I like to go in all different genres because it just keeps me kind of more on my game, and it makes it more interesting, you know. True. I, I just think people today aren't as open-minded as they used to be. I mean, they're very set in one one view of what music should be, and they don't experiment. I mean, I could play a classical album one minute, play a hard rock record the next minute, even put on the radio. Yeah. You know, a lot of pop music gets to me today. I could, I could still put on a song and appreciate it. But, I mean, I think people just, they don't give things a chance anymore. It's like, well, I'm this type of person, I'm that type of person, and there's, there's, there's no gray matter anymore. It's just black and white today, I feel. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right, because, you know, part of the problem is, I guess they've they've uh, pigeonholed so many different styles, and there's so many subgenres and genres of music that I, I guess people just want to feel like they fit into one particular genre, and they don't want to experiment. And I'm like that. I could put a Return to Forever record on, and I could put a Mozart record on, and I could put, you know, Van Halen record on, Metallica. You know, I, I like to go all over the place, you know, and appreciate all the different styles of music. Yeah, I think there are so many genres today, and subgenres and sub subgenres. I mean, I had a I had a record person call me and say, "We have this band, the Mathematical Equational something." I'm, I'm like, "What? What the hell is that?" I'm like, "Is it a rock band?" <laughs> I I'm like, "What the hell?" Is that? There's so many things. I mean, I don't know if it's fans not wanting to associate with certain type of music because they think they're better or beyond it. But I was like, "What the hell is that genre of music?" And you put it on, like, "All right, it's just a rock record. It's just another kind of rock record." You know? I'm like, "Holy cow!" Wow, yeah, I never <laughs> they just keep making it up, I think, you know. <laughs> it's it's incredible. <laughs> you know, also today, I mean, you know, you have people from my generation. I grew up in the seventies and the eighties at music where when I bought a record, I put that record on from start to finish. Sometimes it didn't hit me right away. I had to play it a couple of times to get into it. And back then when you spent seven bucks on a record, you played it over and over again, whether you liked it or not, just to get your money's worth. But today it's like if you don't hit true. your money in ten seconds, they're gone. They move on. Does that make it harder as a songwriter to like say, you know what, we got to grab them right off the bat or we're going to lose them? Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny because people's attention span has uh, completely kind of like de- depleted. You know, they, I mean, it's like you got to get them within, you know, 10 seconds and nobody has any attention span to, to move. And, and that was what the, 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 uh, the good thing about composing is because, you know, you have to get to the song, get to the the moment so quickly within the scene that everything is kind of you know condensed into like a minute. So that that was a that was kind of good training to do that because in in a in songwriting you have to today it's turned out you you can't have like songs evolve like uh, Pink Floyd and things you know it's. Uh, you know, you got to get right to the right to the chase, cut to the chase, so people don't, you know, kind of turn you off. True. You know, Brian. I mean, bootlegging with the music—that's something that's been going on for for decades, even before the internet, going back to the early days on with cassette tapes and stuff like that. But at least back then, you know, when somebody gave you an album, you put on cassette, you played a little bit, you liked it, you went out and you bought the record. Today, that doesn't yeah. happen. And it seems like the record industry is just little by little deteriorating into like I, I say, what happens when the Rolling Stones, you know, finally packing in ACDC, which might be already packing in all these where's the next group of bands coming from that are gonna take over, like, you know, and play Madison Square Garden, play the arenas. Where are these groups coming from if there's no support system from the fans or the labels or the industry anymore itself? 
Yeah, you know that we're from the same generation, and and the problem is is that the record companies didn't bother to develop bands any longer, and so what they want is they want just a, a real fast hit, get some you know some internet play, get some downloads, and then you know move on to the next. And there isn't you know artist development, so you, we wouldn't have had these great bands like Queen and and you know the Stones and and all these great. Bands that developed out of the 60s and the 70s to to take up, and we need you know that next ACDC, the next bands. But I don't know if kids are are playing instruments like they used to, or it's just not being recognized by the industry, or there's just so much saturation with music out there that it's not getting through. True. I, there, there really are no more ain't all departments and record labels anymore. They want you yeah. to come in with a finished product, and they just want to kind of distribute it. And you're right. It's like having a farm team for like a base, like for baseball or sports, where they nurtured you, they brought you up to the majors. Yeah. And they, you know, it, it was all about money. Of course, they wanted to make money off you, but it gave the artist that opportunity, which is which is missing today. So, I mean, in the end, or in the big picture, is it better for a musician to kind of go solo and try to do it on his own than to be involved in a band or a band project where? You know, there's 101 moving parts that can fall apart at any time, and all that hard work goes nowhere after a while sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's the problem with, I guess, a band. You know, you could do both, you know. it's And today you're able to do as much. You know, I always encourage musicians to do as many projects as possible, be with a band, but also, you know, do solo stuff, also work with other guys, also do do some work for scoring television film, you know, get as much out there because there are so many avenues out today that you can uh, get a lot more exposure than you, you could in the old days. So it, it might be uh, it behoove them, you know, to, to do as much as they can. Yeah. Do you think kind of drop the wall? They didn't see things coming, and they just kind of thought maybe it was going to go away because even though you see bootlegging in the movie industry and other things, it's not as prevalent as it is with the music. And they kind of like almost gave up the, you know, they threw away the baby in the water almost, in my opinion. Yeah, they they really screwed it up. I'll tell you, they they the the record industry, and this is back, you know, uh, back in '99 when they were suing, you know, you know, 13 year old girls for downloading a YouTube song from Napster. I mean. You know, they had it in the lap of their hands, and they really threw it all away. And look at it, it took iTunes, you know, just a small company, Apple, just to, at that time to, you know, release an iPod, and then they had this infrastructure of making iTunes, and now that's the most prevalent thing out there. And that could have been all in the record company's hands, and uh, they could have really written their own ticket. And, uh, you know, I think they've made so many mistakes, the record industry. And, of course, listen, you know, they let Tower go, which was a, a huge mistake. I mean, you know, now there's no physical, you know, stores anymore. And it's 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 very difficult, you know, from from my point of view, they, they really screwed up the infrastructure of the record industry at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny because you'll see some other countries like Japan and South America where, Music is still so big over there. They have record stores. They shop. They buy albums. They support the artists on tour. I mean, each country has a certain genre of music that's bigger than others. And but they come out in full force. We're here, you know. We're like we're trendy. I mean, you know, rock is not rock is dead. Rock is dead. Disco is in. Disco is in. Like whatever people tell people, they just go for it. They don't. They don't stick to their guns. You know. No, no, and and it's strange because 
the support, unfortunately, you know, with all of this, it really hurt the touring industry. So you don't have like bands or even new bands like opening up for bigger bands. And that was what part of the cool thing was, hey, let's go see, you know, this new band, you know, that came out. You know, it's opening up for Aerosmith or whatever, you know, and then that's how, you know, a lot of these guys were doing, you know, getting such exposure. But today it doesn't seem like people aren't going out there and they're just not they're not able to do anything and go see and they're not supporting live music. And maybe it's the Internet that really kind of took, I think, a lot of that steam away, you know, of course, with, with obviously with everything, with buying, you know, the music and buying everything. I mean, you you know, I. Well, I grew up in New York City. There was like a a uh, record store in every corner, you know, yeah. in, the, in the 70s. And, they, and today you can't find any record stores. I mean, it's, it's you know, you'd have to go down to the village and, and, and whatever record stores there would be, it's, it's kind of very like genre specific, like a rap store or a dance store or whatever. And it's not, there's the full service is gone, like J&R Music and stuff. It's just all... Yeah, yeah. Jane Arbor, one of the last holdouts. They were there. For, they they were. lasted a lot longer than other people, but even they've been they gone about five years, and now you're stuck with Best Buy, who has a very limited selection. Uh, and you do have little specialty shops popping up now. I mean, how do you? Vinyl is, has been making a resurgence over the last couple of years, and a lot of people are buying it again. And they're charging, you know, premium, you know, rates for some of these albums. And you know, as an adult, I don't mind paying it because that's what I grew up in. That's what I love. I mean, did you ever see a time when vinyl was going to disappear and CDs would be the new thing and then CDs were going to disappear in cassettes and then it was going to be MP3? Did you, like, ever imagine that happening when you were a kid buying vinyl? No, you know, buying vinyl was great. You know, it's funny. They sell these albums now. And and I think what a lot of the sales of the albums are are the old classic rock bands, the old the classic stuff coming out like David Bowie, Diamond Dogs, and Led Zeppelin. I mean, that, those albums we bought for four ninety nine back in the yeah. day, you know, and, and now they want like thirty five dollars, which is which is crazy. But you know, and then I don't know, you know, with CDs, you know, I always laugh and say, you know, one day I think in ten years CDs will come back like vinyl has, uh, you know, because the next generation will figure out, wow, this is really cool, uh, a CD you could take around with you. It's kind of like this ever evolving circle, you know, that goes around. <laughs> True. That's I, I remember back. I think want to say eighty five or eighty six, going to Tower Records and buying a CD player uh, when they first came out. And I was like, it was like three, four hundred dollars back then, which was a fortune in the mid eighties. <laughs> I remember coming home and I'm like, this is great. Look, I go, I gotta go buy those CDs now. I guess. And you go to the store and they're like fifteen dollars compared to a five dollar record. I was like, holy crap! <laughs> and then you start rebuying your Yeah, right. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I have, I have them on vinyl. I have them on CD. I'm like, what am I doing? Then you know, then the next thing comes out, and then MP3s take over 10, 10 15 years later. But you know, I, I, to me, I, I have to use MP3s because I, I have an internet show. But I don't really care for the sound of them. I, you know, nothing to me beats the sound of a vinyl record. I mean, it's just that big, thick, rich tone that you get off of it. I'll take the skips, the cracks, the pops any day of the week. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, that's the problem. The MP3s have become so, um, you're only getting like, you know, 15% of the music. You're not, because it's so compressed and, and, uh, I mean, they've come a long way, the MP3 sound, but still it's not nearly as good as putting a vinyl on or even a CD or any of that. And it's, and, but we're, we're, you know what, you can't get catalog, you know, you can't really go to a store today and get a lot of catalog. So, you know, the best catalog is going online and, Buying all the old Aldeniolas records and stuff, you know, you, you could get, you could download it quickly. It's, it's become a thing of convenience at this point. 
Oh, absolutely. I think I'll hold off another couple of years to be putting chips on our brain and implanting the music directly. We don't have to buy anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. They pay like a monthly service fee. <laughs> they just send all the music right to your brain. <laughs> right. Well, I'll have USB uh, ports in our head. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where the world's going. Hey, but Brian, I- I'm not going to keep it. I know you got a lot of interviews to do. The record is amazing. I mean, where's the best place for people to pick up an album? Because this money is also going to help out some good causes and charity, right? Yeah, it is. It's going to uh, it's the Fisher House Foundation, which give uh, housing to uh, veterans. And and uh, um, I, you could you could get it on you know the easiest way. Obviously, you go to iTunes or any of the uh, you know uh, digital retailers out there. It is also being sold at uh, at uh, certain uh, retailers as well. The CDs, so and also you could buy the CD online at Amazon.com. So. You know, there's uh, several ways that people can go get the album, so that'd be great. Uh, how can you beat that? It's a killer album with some great tunes and amazing musicians playing alongside you. It's going to charity. Uh, spend the money, buy it. You can't beat it. Also, I know you got a show uh, on, on 89.5. Uh, I guess that's in Florida, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, so it's track. a fusion show, so I play, I'll play everything. You know, I'll play everything from, like, George Benson to Van Halen to, you know, everybody in between, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes, uh, you know, and Al Daniel. I just love, uh, love guitar tracks and guitar instrumental music. So, Well, I'm going to check it out. That's the great thing about the internet is that, you know, you can get a signal from any part of the country on the internet. You don't have to say, I can't listen because, you know, I don't live in that area. So people should check out. Oh, the right. Show, so. Yeah. That's, that is, there, there's some convenience about the internet, isn't there? So. <laughs> That and porno. Anything else besides that I can't think of, but that's life. Yeah, right. <laughs> All <laughs> hey, free, <Brian>. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That was great talking to you today, man. The best of luck with the record, and maybe one day you can throw a little band together with this and do some live shows here and there. It'd be great to see you perform. Yeah, I was talking to Phil about that, about doing some shows in New York, because so, uh, he's up there, so hopefully we'll get, uh, get to do that in, uh, in the near future. Well, that's where I look out because I'm from New York myself, so I got a good shot of seeing you live if it happens. Awesome. Where are you located? These days, Staten Island, but originally from Brooklyn. Oh, cool. Cool. Good so, deal. Hey, Brian, best of luck with the record, man. You take care of yourself. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate uh, your support. My pleasure. Thank you. Take, take care, care, buddy. Bye-bye.
All right, some Glazier there with Vendetta. What a great band. You know, Sam passed away. I want to say it was earlier this year. Maybe it was late last year. I don't really recall. Uh, but a really killer outfit. I want to thank all of our guests tonight. Brian Blake from Genghis Khan. Brian Turquay from Band of Brothers, I guess. This is band. Uh, not really band, but, uh, but an album that he has put out right now to help raise money for our veterans. And Eric Wagner from Black Singer, The Skull and Trouble. We got a great show for everybody next week. It's the last uh, live show for the month of October. The week after that, I will be away on vacation, the 29th. Uh, we will do our Halloween spooktacular show that night. It'll be a pre-recorded Halloween show for an hour just to put something up there. Uh, but next week, we're wrapping things up for October with our guests, Jeff McGraw and Joe Sims from Axe Master, as well as Brad Sinsel from TKO. So don't forget to tune in. It'll be a great show next week. And then our Halloween spooktacular to wrap up the month of October. I have like one guest a week lined up right now for November. Uh, because I will be moving sometime that month, and I'm not sure if I will have internet set up in a new place in time to have the studio done. But, you know, so I figured I have one guest on, and they all know that it could be canceled, the show, just in case. But hopefully we'll have everything up and running uh, during midweek before the Sunday Night Show starts up again. That depends on Verizon, I guess. We'll see what happens. But let's wrap it up here tonight with the exalted one, the mighty pile driver with I'm the One. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday night.
Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while Geico could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, Geico has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.